I'm not wearing a bra, so. <laughs> really free ball you know, today. know, she's gonna go down. That's gonna be the bumper for the episode. Hey. Okay. <laughs> Insert theme song here. So much to do, so much to see. I'm not going to keep going. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to A Warped to Remember. I'm Rachel. I'm Zoe. We're here. We're queer. And we're going to talk about 1999, baby. 99. If you didn't know, <laughs> those were some choice lyrics <laughs> from the 1999 hit that defined multiple generations. And Shrek. And Shrek. <laughs> Also, Rat Race, ever seen it? Smash Mouth's in it. Oh. Anyway, that was the song All Star by Smash Mouth. <laughs> My brother and I really loved the movie Rat Race, and Mr. Bean was in it. And it yeah. was weird. There was a weird Nazi plot line. But the movie <laughs> ends with, like, Smash Mouth. <laughs> I vaguely remember that. It's wild. Uh, anyway, highly recommend. So, <laughs> what do we do here? Good question. No one. So, this is a warp to remember. We're just two best friends who love pop punk and love warp tour and we shoot the shit every week about either the history of warped which we do once a month that'll be next week's or we pick a theme and we pick some of our favorite songs and we talk about them we talk about our sweet mems we talk about pop punk at large we talk about who was in warped who should have been in warped why some people should not have been in warped <laughs> etc so you joined us on a very special week we're talking about our favorite songs of 1999 to prep for next week's episode which is our big history ep where we go through one year of warped tour in particular who the lineup was what was happening in the world at that time what was happening in music at that time it'll be a really fun one there's some wild shit that happened oh i'm so i know because i did the research for it this yeah month. so Prepare yourselves emotionally for that. But this week, I picked three songs that I like that Zoe does not know. And she picked three songs that she likes. I do not know what she picked. We're going to reveal them slowly but surely and talk about them. Hit us up on our social medias. Let us know if there's any 1999 tracks that we missed that you wish we talked about. Or if you have any thoughts on any of these. Uh, we're at a warped to remember, All one word on Instagram and facebook you can also find us on myspace no joke we are there i would die laughing if someone hit us up on myspace and especially hit us up on twitter that's probably the most direct way to hit us up and we're posting some fun extra content on our instagram so hit us twitter we're at warped number two remember because they're fascists and we have too many letters in our username we're easy to find come talk to us with that zoe what'd you pick oh my god all right 1989, what a year. I, it was so hard to pick just one song from this album, and you'll all know why I hear it in a second when I play the song, but it's... Oh yeah, we're getting it out of the way early. We're just going to we get it out of the way, because we all know. We're just, because we're going to talk about it for a while, so strap on in, here we go. So this is Adam's Song by Blink-182 off of their incredible album, Enema of the State. This 
song is the third single off of the album. Uh, it was technically released in September of 2000. Uh, the album itself was released in 1999 on June 1st by MCA Records. This entire album is, I, I love it. It's amazing from start to finish. It's just I really couldn't say enough, and it was really difficult for me to just pick one song. I mean, from Dumpweed all the way to the end to Anthem, I was like, I can sing every one of these songs. Yeah. I've known them by heart since I was like 11. And when I was trying to pick a song, and I was like clicking through, and just every time one of them would play, I would be like, oh, I love this. I love this. I mean, the biggest singles off this album, and probably the biggest singles of Blink ever, are All the Small Things and What's My Age Again which are both objectively much more like upbeat and funny and like they play into the blink kind of like uh, jokey kind of like humorous yeah. aspect of pop punk which is very much a staple for them right um the reason i chose adam's song is because it's musically incredibly written um the opening guitar bass is just very easy and you kind of think you get lulled into this like oh this is going to be the it's the it's in the middle of the album and you kind of think like oh this will be the slow song like the ballad like i'll skip through it every time i listen to the album but then they just totally psych you out and they build up to this incredible chorus that just comes out of nowhere with the drums and um tom delong singing harmonies for mark's lead singing in it and Mm -hmm. i and the the piano the piano and the bridge which was again like we get we start to see the evolution of emo that we'll see later on right in the 2000s it's well and later on that we'll see in blink yeah in with blink. i miss you which is pretty stylistically disparate from everything else they've done yeah exactly. it's kind of this and that like adam's song and yeah and i miss you are very much their own sounds and very highly produced yes. with a lot of layered sound to it a lot of instrumentation absolutely I mean, that's why I love it, because it's just, every time I think, like, oh, you know, like, what's a great Blink song? But I hear this every time, and it just, it touches me to the core in some way. Like, you, I just connect so much with the way that they wrote the song and that yearning. The song was written, I believe, like when they were on tour. Um, in the ni- in 1997, it was written during mm-hmm. this like big long tour that they had. It was like nine months of straight touring, and Mark wrote Mark Coppus wrote the song um, basically as because he, he he was watching Tom DeLonge and Travis Barker and uh, you know have or the, their other drummer at the time like go home to their girlfriends and like have this home life and mark didn't have it he he loved being on tour and tour was tough and you know being on the road is hard but he loved being on tour but then he never had anybody at home at that time waiting for him and so he wrote this song of like uh you know love wanting to you know love what he was doing but it's just like there's nobody home for me like you know it's kind of that like if, even if you're doing really well in your career, and he says this, there's quotes of him saying, you know, he was everything was going well for them. They were becoming these big stars. Enema of the State was about to drop in 99 and become, I mean, just a classic album. Yeah. And yet he didn't have that home. 
life that maybe he wanted. And I think it really goes to show like we can put all of all of our car, you know, like all of our eggs in one basket of career. But like if we don't have anything else, sometimes that feels really empty. I, I mean, the song itself has a really uh, interesting history. Yeah. Um, related to uh, Columbine and some school gun violence and also to suicide. And I think you probably know more about it than I do. Is that what you were saying? You. Uh, yeah. I mean, part of why I flagged this song specifically from the album for this episode was because we'll get into it in the history episode, but 1999 was a huge year in general, but especially for gun violence, terrorism around the world, and just an uptick in suicide and talk of self-harm. And it was very prolific, especially within the canon of Warped Tour. I mean, Suicidal Tendencies headlined Warped Tour. Right. Um, and I mean, they're a punk band within themselves, but like the word suicide and the romanticization of it and romanticizing self-harm was like more prevalent, at least for me and my research, than it was in the previous years that we've done. Yeah. Um, and we're approaching the end of the millennium. There's some really fucked up political stuff going on. But also, yeah, so this is literally about their friend Adam who killed himself. So that song was always pretty intense. But, okay. I did. Is that not what you found? Well, another heavy thing that I can for sure tell you. It's unclear. Zoe and I are trying to fact check this and see if they actually had a friend who killed themselves that this was based on or if it was just specifically about Mark's loneliness on tour and not really having a home life. I think it's definitely that, but I think they knew someone but now it's unclear and it might be a pop punk urban legend. We're trying to debunk it, but we can't figure it out. <laughs> but I can promise you that they no longer play the song and they haven't played this song yeah. since 2008 because uh, Travis Barker, who's had a lifelong fear of planes and was convinced from a very young age that he would die in a plane crash, was in a private plane crash with his best friend, DJ AM, whose name is actually Adam. And Adam died and Travis survived and had to go through, I think it was eight surgeries right yeah barker spent more than 11 weeks in hospitals and burn centers he had 16 surgeries and blood transfusions that lasted four to eight hours and numerous skin grafts so they were talking about maybe amputating his foot at a certain point which would be a huge issue as a drummer and also just in life um he had ptsd from it and they also oh last minute um his wife at the time was supposed to be on the plane with him and she was like i feel weird leaving our kids you go he's like okay and he really didn't want to because he's always hated planes and they were actually working on take off your pants and jacket at the time oh my god um or no back in the day when they were working on take off your pants and jacket which was 2001 the plane crash was 2008 but they had like the little symbols to represent each of them and travis was like please don't give me the plane symbol i hate planes i always have so it was like something that they knew about him from forever and then you know fast forward seven years and this happens and so he's had immense guilt and PTSD from it. He's spoken about it to an extent. Um, and obviously it's objectively none of our business. That's just the info that I have. And I know that they've not played the song since because of that trauma, which is totally understandable. And it's uh, objectively really sad because it's a powerful song. It's a beautifully composed song and performed song, but I completely understand why they don't do it. Yeah. So it's heavy and it has a heavy legacy to it because when it came out, it was very much related to teen suicide and self-harm and Columbine and gun violence. But it also has this legacy of this weird prophetic 
you know so it's it's heavy but it's an objectively beautiful song and i know a lot of people that i grew up with we all like loved that song and never really thought that hard about it right and then you know the older you get the more it starts to mean something to you but i think it's been a source of strength for a lot of people i think it's been a really inspirational moment and it's objectively fantastic and it's a beautiful song uh it's just a very sordid history yeah the album itself and mother state i mean it's again it's just such a i think it's it really goes to show like what you can do when you put together a really solid body of work like there's no bad song on it right well and especially compared to dude ranch i mean dude ranch is very fun but it's we've talked about it it's a borderline parody album that each song ends with some sort of graphic sound bite of something right and then fast forward to Enema, and it's so well produced, it's so carefully curated, and the songs are carefully placed. And they're still fun, and there's still a lot of tongue-in-cheek and a lot of satire right. that we've come to know and love from them. But it's just been elevated in a new way. I mean, I think so many people don't even think about Old Blink. Old Blink, quote-unquote, is usually Enema onward. Right. <laughs> despite them having multiple albums at that point. Right. You know? Well, that's the thing. Like, when I... Yeah, absolutely. And why I, I was so surprised, actually, to remember that Enemy of the State came out in, in 1999, because I think it still stands up so easily to anything coming out today. I mean, you could... It doesn't sound like the 90s to me. It no. sounds like a total departure. It's into, very much a new millennium moment. Yes. They really rang us into the new millennium. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's... I mean, any of these... Aliens Exist is funny and... Aliens Exist is great and... Very funny and ironic knowing where we're at now and how <laughs> yeah. publicly vocal Tom DeLonge has been about his thoughts about <laughs> aliens and the government. And there's a documentary that was released a couple of years ago about Tom, and it's largely about him as, as this like guitar god. Right. But like the last quarter of the documentary is him kind of talking about oh my God. his faith, because I think he was kind of born again-ish, and also like aliens. Perfect. And he, I think, is in the works on something. <laughs> if it's not already out, I'm pretty sure he's like working on something that's specifically about wow his thoughts on that. Excellent. So Aliens exists like a very self-aware song because he wrote it because everyone made fun of him for all the shit he would say about <laughs> Aliens. And he's like, well, I'm going to write the song. And here we go. But yeah, there's so much fun to it. There's so much heart to it. Going Away to College is my favorite song off that album. So I didn't pick any Blink this episode because I wanted to kind of mix it up because it's this album right. is such a monolith. Yes. And I wanted to let you pick one. Oh, God. I think the most depressing song. But it's important and it's poignant and it's so much a product of its time. Yes. Uh, But Going Away to College is one of my favorites. Very tender love song. Yeah. Um, Very, very sweet. There's just, there's so many layers to it. And like, there's like jerking off humor and there's suicide and there's love and there's loss. Which I All in one. Because that's life, man. It's wild. Exactly. Like, I, they. And they're vulnerable in a way that pop punk bands aren't yes. usually vulnerable. Yeah. And they set the scene for that whole new millennium of yes. very vulnerable sad boys. Yes, exactly. Right? They have everything from the party song to the iconic music video for all the small things. Exactly. Which is one of my favorite music videos of all time. Fun fact, the Adams song music video was directed by a woman, Liz Friedlander. Yes. And it debuted on MTV's Total Request Live in 2000. Wow. Yeah. Man. Just a fun fact about that. Um, some great music videos from this album truly truly Uh, the other thing uh, that's iconic about the album of course is the cover art which I'm pretty sure anybody could 
And Alex Gaskart very memorably recreated it for <laughs> Alternative Press years later. Perfect. But yeah, uh, I believe she is a porn star. Yes. Yeah. It's the, fe- uh, the album art is, if you've never seen it, it's uh, the porn star Janine Linda Mulder. She's in a nurse's uniform, a very busty nurse's uniform, and she has she's pulling on a blue glove a rubber uh, glove giving you a, a look and of course the the title of the album enema of the state is upon an enemy of the state but of course in true blink humor they're gonna make it about yeah butts. well in very uh green day actually I yeah think. That's i think true. they took a big cue from green day i mean they're old pictures of them performing in basements they're wearing green day t-shirts yeah and i think green day really set the scene for that i think Absolutely. punk always did kind of shit and piss but Green Day made it funny, Dookie, and Blink yeah. very much <laughs> ran with that. I think they're very much yeah. cut from the same cloth. I feel like Blink, and maybe, maybe later on they got this way, but I do feel like Green Day was always very upfront politically, like had that punk influence where it was like very much like rancid, where it's I'm gonna just like say yeah. that. Well, yeah. I think that being Canadian helped insulate them. They had a kind of an outsider perspective of America and how fucked up it was because right. everyone was mad at America all the time. But then Blink, like political in the way of like it's under metaphors and we're not going to like outrightly state it again like it was kind of it more of a commentary as opposed to like straight up like observations of what's right up. right so i just this is an amazing album i mean it's just it holds up so well it's one of my favorite albums in the genre really in rock and roll at all i would say yeah it's one of the most prolific pop punk albums of all time and just rock albums yes. of all time this gets played on um, and again, I mean, any station could play that, play this album. Yeah. Literally, and they did. Yeah. Pop stations did. It was yep. wild. Yep. It hit top 40. Um, easily, I've it debuted high, I'm sure, and it's just probably gone like triple platinum at this point. Um, so it's an incredible album. I... I don't know, go fucking listen to it again, you know? Reacquaint yourself if you haven't listened to Enema of the State in a while. Go back and listen to it, because it's just really great. Anyway, I'm going to take a hard left turn, yes. but not that hard, but you know. Excellent. This is Learn to Fly by Foo Fighters. One of my favorite songs. Uh, so <laughs> before I get into the history of it, which is fun, personally, I love this song a lot. So... <laughs> judge me in 1999 i was starting kindergarten oh my god <laughs> and uh my dad had this really sick black mustang convertible and occasionally mm. he'd take me and my brother out in it wow and he would play this song a lot this was like the album he had in the deck nice. and uh love this song fully associated with driving around with my dad and my brother really little but having a great time and this was like basically the only song we ever wanted to hear off the album it, which is an objectively great album but i just remember like play it again 
No, but play it again. <laughs> but play it again. Uh, I don't remember much else of this album from childhood. I know it now right. as an adult, but like, I just, this was the song. This album's sick. And this music video is fantastic. Um, so the music video for Learn to Fly, I think Foo Fighters took the idea of this like pop punk humor satire and really ran with it in the mainstream in a really successful way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Dave Grohl is just the epitome of like the quiet girl in Glee Club who like belts that Whitney Houston solo and you're like, we had no idea <laughs> because Dave Grohl was the drummer for Nirvana and like as far as anyone knew wasn't singing and then all of a sudden Foo Fighters come out in the mid 90s and you're like what the fuck dude has pipes also he got so hot so quick uh he's not at his peak yet in my opinion I think Dave Grohl is at his hottest in the pretender era but okay I digress I digress I don't think it's that hot of a take he's like (laughs) really hot when he's all beardy and hairy but anyway um but the Learn to Play music video is one of my favorites because I grew up with Tenacious D and I grew up loving Jack Black and Kyle Gass and thinking they're just the tits and thinking they're so funny. And Dave Grohl very memorably plays Satan in their tribute music video. Right. And then Kyle and Jack open the Learn to Fly video for the Foo Fighters yes. as the like bumbling idiots on the plane who are supposed to be the custodians. That's right. That's and right. it's just so fun and great. Um, oh yeah, they're not the custodians. They're trying to like rob, but like you get it. Watch the video. It's great. Uh, but what's really fun about the video though, I will say it is problematic. It's a lot of the boys in drag for laughs and the boys in fat suits for laughs. Right. I still think it's fun. And I'm a fat woman and I still think it's fun. I think what was cool about it was in a time where the mainstream rock and roll bands were just really face value, very serious. Yeah. took everything very seriously to have a mainstream like chart topping radio hit band completely put their guard down and be silly yeah. and be people really brought the kind of warped to our idea into the full mainstream of like yeah. Foo Fighters were this amazing rock band this like internationally loved force of music but they had those warped to our pop punk summer camp vibes of like they're just a bunch of dudes who love their lives and love to laugh and don't take anything too seriously. Right. And are friends with Jack Black. Like, it's just so fun. So the video, in case you don't know, it, it's, uh, it all takes place on a plane. And the band, Foo Fighters, play, like, basically all of the characters. Right. So it starts with Dave Grohl as a very effeminate, flamboyant flight attendant, which is low-key problematic. But very funny to me. I'm sorry. I'm a horrible person. Um, but it also has one of the other members in drag as a flight attendant. A bunch of them play fat tourists. A bunch of them, they're just, they. the band plays a bunch of different characters in these really ridiculous, campy costumes and get-ups. And part of why I'm not as offended by it is because every single character is a caricature and just a camp, ridiculous thing that it's making fun of everyone. Right. So I can't really be mad because it really makes it's fun of everyone. Just, yeah, it's not pulling one kind of group or subset out. Yeah, and like, I have oh. to say, like, Dave Grohl with his little... Like, with his little John Waters mustache, like... Oh, my God. <laughs> like, walking around, like, being flamboyant is so fun for me. And it's cute. And, like, I'm the worst. And I think, like, shitty white improv boys are cute sometimes. And, like, you know, like, the theater kid in me is like, this video is so fun. It is. So, anyway, long story long, I love this song. I fully have a deep-rooted memory of listening to this a lot as a kid. 
and a very fond memory. Shout out to my dad for busting this out in the car as a kid. And then watch the fucking video if you haven't seen it. If you haven't seen it, I'm truly gobsmacked. It's a treat. It's wild. Treat, treat yourself. Yeah. It's very it. fun. What are your thoughts? I, this is my favorite Foo Fighters song, so I'm so glad you picked it. It's just... I love Monkey Wrench, too, but that was Monkey, earlier. Yeah. True. They this, have some great... They have some pops, man. They and do. And I love later Foo Fighters. Pretenders rips. Pretender rips. <laughs> but yeah, I think Learn to Fly is just so quintessentially them. It is. It's, again, it's a really nice use of different instruments, and it's a very well-textured song um, from start to finish, like... The harmonies are great. It stands up again. I mean, mm-hmm. you could put this out today. It doesn't feel dated at it all. It doesn't feel dated at all, which is a real testament because the 90s are so quintessentially the 90s for a reason. They sound really specific. And this song doesn't. Um, this album... Especially to come out of grunge into this, to be yeah. in the most famous grunge band of all yes. time. And then become a lead singer of a totally yeah. different fun band. Well, I think that's... I really appreciate that that was their... Um, journey with it because I like you said I mean the rest of the rock and roll scene at this point was still like yeah very face value and you know like reputation to be like you know hardcore whatever or just like you two won a bunch of Grammys and they were like highly political and artistic and you know or like these metal bands who just are so serious right and have like Godsmack be a thing. It's oh just God. wild. But then also, like, Sugar Ray exists. Lulz. But then here are the Foo Fighters. Here are the you know, Foo Fighters, like, yeah. They're having fun and they're making great music and they have one of the most storied histories of any band. Yeah. And, you know, are associated with probably one of the biggest rock and roll legends, I mean, Kurt Cobain. But this album, There's Something Left to Lose, won their only Grammy. Yeah. Which is pretty insane. Um, I feel like Dave Grohl should have many Grammys, so yeah. I'm a little surprised. But it's just such a great, I, it's a great song. It's really iconic. It's. I think this is also shows off Dave's, some of his better singing. Sometimes, three. I like Foo Fighters, I do. Sometimes Dave's singing gets a little pushed for me, and I just feel like he's not... Because I know that he can sing. gets his roots. Exactly. Like, I know he can sing well. And on mm-hmm. this song, he does sing well. And then sometimes he just goes into a, a voice that's just a little more... Uh, it's just not as nice to listen to for me. And mm-hmm. so I, I, I sometimes I, I'm kind of here to mess with Foo Fighters. But this song, it's great. Those last couple of chords at the end are a really nice cadence that just mm-hmm. finish us off. I love listening to this on a plane. I listen to this almost specifically always on planes. It's like the only time that I'm like, I'm going to listen to this when I'm mm-hmm. in the air. And it's nice. It's, I don't know. It just makes me feel good. <laughs> yeah. My second pick. Let's jump into it. This time it's on it's from somewhere this is Lucky Denver Mint by Jimmy Eat World.
it's off of their album Clarity, which was remastered and expanded and re-released in 2007, but originally released in 1999. Uh, this song is, I think, the, the most well-known uh, song off the album, or it was like the biggest single. Their largest album by far, if you're if you're not super familiar with Jimmy Eat World, they're the, the band that did uh, The Middle, which is... Hey, don't write yourself off yet. Never close your mouth. Pro tip, if you ever karaoke Jimmy Eat World's The Middle, don't close your mouth. Don't write yourself off yet. It's only in your head you feel left out or look down on. Which I do have to give them props. When I was doing a little research for this uh, episode, I found out that they worked like day jobs in between uh, a couple of albums to be able to like get enough money to do the sessions to put out Bleed American, which is what the oh, middle wow. is on. Yeah. So they're pretty prolific. Well, do and also Bleed American. What an album name, especially for 99. Well, so no, sorry. So Clarity is 99. Oh, okay. Bleed American was 2001-ish, I think. Got it, got it, got it. So, which Still. also is a little prophetic if I don't know when it came out, so. Yeah. Um, but this, so Clarity came out in 1989. Um, it has reached pretty cult status at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of critical acclaim. It's been lauded as kind of one of the the bigger first real emo releases of the time. Um, there's a lot of dynamic instrumentation, which you can hear in that the like good 20 second drum solo at the end of this song. Um, they <sighs> Jimmy E. World. To be honest, I haven't ever been like a huge Jimmy E World fan just because I wasn't a fan of the middle. Bleed American's fine, but it wasn't really they never caught me. I always find myself incapable of listening to a full album by then. Yes. Every yeah. time I try, it's like Meh. I lose it, but I have to say I going back and listening to Clarity again, I think it, it's a bit of a a sleeper hit because it really there's some great songs in it. Lucky Denver Mint is great. Actually, my favorite song is in one of my honorable mentions is Sweetness. Or, which came out, uh, which was really released with the album in 2007. Ooh. Um, which is really great. It's a great song. This song in particular, for me, why it stands out is if, if his voice really on it is we get that kind of, like Rachel was saying, that kind of like breathy, easy to sing. It's kind of more intimate. It's like he's kind of singing to himself and it kind of draws you in a little bit and it's about as pretty as pop punk gets yes it's as pretty as pop gets we do we are gonna start to hear that sound more and more we're gonna get that same kind of vocal effect coming in with like dashboard confessional and a lot more of the kind of sad boy vibes that are gonna happen in the mid-2000s hope tangles on a string oh my god i love dashboard confessional (laughs) so this lead guitarist vocalist jim atkins like he is really the I mean, he he did a lot for this genre, absolutely. The song itself is about uh, a time when Jim Atkins was in um, Vegas with a friend and he wasn't old enough to like really party or consume alcohol or go to the casinos, but he was there. And so he kind of like ended up on his own and he wrote this, it's essentially like a free form poem of the lyrics. The lyrics, it's very short. There's actually aren't a lot of lyrics, right? which is really interesting. Um, for It's a long song, but it just repeats itself. So... Uh, the lyrics are, this time it's on my own, minutes from somewhere else, somewhere I made a wish with Lucky Denver Mint, which is that kind of Vegas reference. 
you're not be- better than this, not better, why can't, you're not, sorry, you're not bigger than this, not better, why can't you learn? Hurry on, go ahead, good things won't let you wait, I'll catch up when we get home, at home I'll leave, a dollar under the water keeps on dreaming for me, you're not bigger than this, not better, why can't you learn? So it's the whole thing. So you get that, you get a lot of the Vegas imagery of, you know, the, the kind of gambling idea, and the like, you're never going to beat the house, why can't you just learn, why can't we just, you know, you're out here catching something that you're never going to be able to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, so we start to get the the metaphor vibe. Well, and so much of the American dream that comes up in pop punk especially, but in all American anything. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So These, like, suburban kids dreaming of a better day. Exactly. Which is Warped Tour in a nutshell. Exactly. So it's Warped Tour. They played, Jimmy World played the 99 Warped Tour. I assume they probably played more. I um, so. I can tell so you definitively in a moment. They've become kind of like your uncles of pop punk emo. Like they're referenced a lot, but I never they never really found necessarily like the same status as Blink, definitely never the same status as Fall Out Boy or My Chem or anything like that. They they were there. They were the like a good solid band, but they just never quite found their like Right. You know, big 15 minutes of fame. The middle isn't everything, though. I mean, the middle really is. Yeah. It's like famous as they get. But what are your thoughts, Rach? In case any reviewers are curious, Wikipedia has a great list of Warped Tour lineups by year with little checked boxes. And you can see directly, like, who came by a lot, who did one year, and that was it. Uh, Yeah, Jimmy World played, looks like, and again, this is Wikipedia, so it might be wrong. They did four years of Warped in the 25-year wow. history. Yeah, that's pretty Based decent. on this, yeah. Um, and it was all in the late 90s, early 2000s for the most part. <laughs> I think they might have actually gotten like pretty well-known by that time and like didn't yeah. you know were on their own tours. Exactly. Which is great, you know. Yeah, because so. it's summer touring. It was like primo time. Yeah. I really am stoked that you picked this. I did not know this song right off the bat. I, I have a similar relationship with Jimmy Eat World. Like I said, I've, I've never really listened to a whole album all the way through and had a great time with it, but... Every now and then a song will, you know, cross my path that I really enjoy that turns out to be them. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't know the, the lead singer's name, but his vocals shift from song to song, which is, I think, pretty indicative of pop punk, especially at this time yeah. of any given day, like someone's way more breathy or way more shouty or way more whiny from a track to track basis. Um, but I really like this song. I really like his vocal performance. I basically you hit the nail on the head. Everything you said, I really like. And I think it's just textbook warped, you know, the American dream, being in the suburbs, wanting a better life, wanting something exciting to happen to you. Basically being a privileged white kid who's bored yeah. uh, <laughs> a is bit. that. A little bit. And it feels right. Yeah. And I'm not dismissing that. I mean, it's, you know, it's a valid feeling. And I've, I've definitely been a privileged white kid who's been bored. So I get it. <laughs> but um, it's also a basic human feeling of like wanting something more and yes. kind of waiting for something to happen. Yes but you have to do it yourself. Yeah, exactly. Kind of vibe. And I think that's, again, pop punk. It's inherently accessible to everyone because basic human emotions. Right. Yeah, very fun. Are you ready for a hard, hard left turn? Wow, we're going to just go in a circle by the end of this. That's pretty funny. No, this is, uh, this is about 
This is about as hard of a left turn as I could possibly do. This is My Name Is by Eminem. My name is Kids, do you like violence? Yeah, wanna yeah, see yeah. me stick nine inch nails to each one of my eyelids? Uh -huh. Wanna copy me and do exactly like I did? Yeah, Try yeah. sit and get fucked up worse than my life is? Now I'm sure you're asking yourself, what the fuck? <laughs> Why? Well, Eminem played 1999's Warped Tour. Mind blown. He did. And bear with me, it makes complete sense to me. Wow. Okay. I was shooketh by this yes. when we first started doing this pod and we found out that Eminem did Warped once. Yeah. We're like, wow, the 99 <laughs> episode's gonna be wild. Yeah. And we've kind of known this going going into it, and so I finally did some research for this, obviously, to get more into it, and I get it now. Really? Okay. So, one, on me. you'll notice we've been talking about music videos this entire time. I think we're in this era of, I would argue, like, 98 to 2007, where, like, the primo time, or I guess 8 to 8, let's say, like, 1998 to 2008 would be, like, the best time for music videos, I think, in history. TRL was huge. Mm -hmm. Top 20 Countdown was on VH1 the whole time I was growing up. YouTube then comes in around 06, really takes off. People are constantly watching these videos, and it became a really great way to spread your music. It is always on TV. So in light of that, I mean, we talked about Blink's videos and how funny and tongue-in-cheek they are. We just talked about the Learn to Fly video, which is super fun and involves a lot of heavy costuming. Well, Eminem did the, very much the same thing. In the My Name Is video, it shows a quote-unquote, like, traditional American white trash couple of, like, an obese dude in a wife beater tank top chugging beers and a wife with really thick blue eyeshadow looking miserable and chain smoking and they're watching tv and the whole video is just the channels constantly flipping and eminem is every single character oh my god so it starts with him of like marshall mathers and it's black and white and he gets hit with a football and it's very 1950s but then he plays marilyn manson at one point oh, very convincingly i would say oh he um you know, plays the president at one point. They do this whole Clinton thing. They do a really, in my opinion, gross Monica Lewinsky bit that's very demeaning and fucked up. Because she got a bad rap. Yeah. Um, but anyway, she's thriving. She doesn't yeah. care. She's a queen. <laughs> um, so there's political stuff. There's old TV. There's new TV. There's music. He's doing music videos. He's doing reality television. There's this whole narrative within it. And then it oscillates between that and him, like, acting out bits from the song so one of the one of the lyrics is he says that he, he essentially he goes into a strip club and uh with his jacket up unzips puts his dick in the tip jar so in the video you see him go into a strip club and then get carried out completely naked with a blurred dick a la what would become a very iconic blink 182 image yeah <laughs> from the what's my age against video yeah. and they're all naked and they're all running right like be, like naked dumb white boys were hilarious <laughs> you know still are in my opinion um but yeah, so he really, Eminem's fascinating to me for so many reasons. And he's so famous in such a household name. Like people who couldn't really name a song by him know him. Yes. People yeah. who never listen to rap in their lives know mm -hmm. him. I think a huge part of that is because he's white. Mm -hmm. He's the first well-known white solo rapper. The Beastie Boys were white rappers, but they had roots in rock and roll. And it was very much a thing. He actually name checks the Beastie Boys in a couple of his songs. Um, 
I think a huge part of it, I won't lie, is like white people fucking love stealing other people's shit and mm-hmm. having a white dude rap mm-hmm. made it accessible for them. And that's part of why Eminem is as prolific as he is today. Yeah. Because he took black culture and made it white. And then, yeah. you know, sorry, it's true. But I will say he really tapped into what, in my opinion, was like the key youth market for this time because he was all about shock value. Yes. He was all about nothing is sacred. Nothing is sacred. Yeah. I mean, he he says shit about his own mother in this song. He talks about wanting to kill his dad with a shovel and dreaming about it. Um, one of my favorite bits is the opening uh, verses. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Want to see me stick nine-inch nails through each one of my eyelids? Right. So commentary on music at large. He's always, like, no one's safe. He talks shit about nine-inch nails. He makes fun of Marilyn Manson in this music video. He talks shit about the Beastie Boys. He talks shit about other rappers. Uh, he goes on to say, Dr. Dre said, Slim Shady, you a bass head. You know, he's constantly name-checking all of these people. Yeah. He's also calling attention to the fact that, like, ni- like late 90s teens were fucking terrifying. And they were a whole new market for people, for better and for worse. They came of age in the grunge era. Everyone romanticized suicide. Eminem especially. Mm-hmm. He says constantly in all of, all of the songs on this album that I was listening to. Um, and this is off of... Fucking... Hold on. Sorry. This is off of the Slim Shady LP, which was released in 99. Um, and it has 20 tracks and a bunch of them are skits where it literally lists them as skits. So it's a borderline comedy album, but it's very heavy. It's talking about violence and kids being mad and kids wanting to kill themselves. He says he goes home, puts on a bulletproof vest and shoots himself in the head. That's a lyric in this song. Like he is constantly shock value. And then at one point, I think he really sums it up. Because he says, I don't give a fuck. God sent me to piss the world off. Like, he's there to incite anger and emotion. Mm-hmm. almost, And then say, like, you're welcome. I'm doing you a service. Right. And that's pretty insane. And I think that's very much, like, a punk kind of vibe. It's very yeah. much a pop punk kind of vibe to be tongue-in-cheek, to do potty humor and sex humor, and nothing is sacred and really shock people feels very punk to me and especially as i just think eminem is the epitome of white boy anger Mm -hmm. and i'm not he grew up with struggle we all know this watch eight mile the tale is old (laughs) as time at this point um but he's the epitome of white boy anger especially in this new millennium where everyone's mad at everything we're not really doing anything about it we kind of are but we're not you know and he's addressing all of these very important things yeah. And almost South Parkian, where he's making a larger statement, but a lot of people are taking it at face value. It's a little dangerous. It's a little bit of a slippery right. slope. But he's fascinating, and he was huge. And this Slim Shady LP is huge. He went on to win a Grammy for the Marshall Mathers right. LP the following year in 2000. And I'll get into that a little bit in the history episode. Um, even though it's not my year, I had to get into it because Eminem was only a work for this one time. Um, but in 99, he was promoting largely the Slim Shady stuff and was now being catapulted to fame and then would eventually win a Grammy and perform with Elton John at the Grammys. God. Crazy. His whole trajectory is crazy and he came up from nothing and he came up with a fucking potty mouth talking shit about everything, constantly saying that he has AIDS and he's going to kill himself. Very wild, very much an angry, confused kid of Mm -hmm. the late 80s, early 90s because the world was a mess. Yeah. Long story long. That's why I picked it. It's also like a fun sounding song it's very slow but you kind of get lulled into it and you just love the hi my name is like everyone gets into it even when you don't really know the lyrics and i think that's also part of the appeal is that he tricks you he like lulls you in and is like haha i'm so funny except for when i'm not here's some real fucking shit
That's my girl, dawg. I don't give a fuck. God sent me to piss the world off. Hi, my name is what? My name is what? My name is Alright, this is my third and final song. Misdemeanor on the stage, a misapple, I implore you, it's no mystery at all. This is Less Teeth, More Tits by the Lunachicks. How high are you? Less teeth and more tits, it's never enough. You'll never be good I love it. Yes. This is off their album, Luxury Problem. Happened to be their last album. Uh, they Tragic. Out. It was their fifth and final studio album. Uh, it was part of Go-Kart Records, June 8th of 99. All uh, the lyrics written by Theo Kogan, um, the lead person in the band. Uh, it's a totally female band or women-identifying band from New York City. Uh they were active in the late 80s, throughout the 90s. They've since like kind of come back a, a couple of times and reformed Theo, the lead. Um, she's she's a band called Theo and the Skyscrapers. Um, so they they're around still playing out in bands. This they so the reason I picked the Luna Chicks, they were really unknown to me. I didn't know them too well me either. until doing some research into them. Uh, they played Warped Tour in 99 for about a week or so um in july of that year so they were it was a short stint i'm assuming they were a local stage they were uh listed on the main stage, stage. oh yeah so, so just for such a short engagement it would make more sense it's to on me, the local stage yeah good for them yeah so they i mean i think at that point they were maybe like a little more established since mm -hmm. they had been around for about five years well yeah this was so. the, the end of their run or, so yeah to speak. So 12 years, five albums. Their swan song. Yeah, their swan song. This whole album is, it's definitely very much commentary on what it's like to be, and their whole, and honestly, their whole entire discography is really what it's just a, a commentary on what it's like to be uh, a woman and kind of what we're anticipated to be when you're a woman and, and the things that go into you know, they have songs called like Mom, and one of their albums is called uh, Babysitters on Acid. Pretty Ugly is another one of their albums that was earlier before Luxury Problem that has like features like a, the like I Style Barbie like bust thing that you mm -hmm. can like girls used to have in the mm -hmm. day. But it's like all fucked one. up. Yeah. So they, it's very much of, you know, they, it's like their commentary. For me, the Luna Chicks are kind of like uh, the Riot Girl light like they don't quite have that like Kathleen Hanna. oh they were before it they were the 80s they yeah. paved the way in a lot of ways right 80s 90s so yeah exactly I do think that they were I'm sure kind of influenced some of the Riot Girl movement but they it wasn't quite the same totally just like dicks out rock out kind of thing right they were a little more I mean this song you can hear it is that you know, it's a little more contained. They're not as raw and rough like it is. It was their fifth album, so I mean, they obviously grew into this album, but um, they don't quite have that the same. Uh, I don't even know what the word is for it, but like 
just edginess. I mean, they're ed- mm-hmm. it's still edgy. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's different than like Bikini Kill, right? Um, it's not as distortion. It's a little more controlled vocals. Yes, I think a lot of the core of the right girl movement to me feels to get very English major. It feels like a little bit of romanticism, but a little bit of transcendentalism of like the sublime of approaching the sublime of like it's supposed to be a genuine a genuine but spontaneous overflow of feeling like that is the right girl movement of like we're feeling this now and we're like screaming it and spewing it out and it doesn't have to rhyme and we're feeling it whereas this feels a little more traditionally poetic more of a tight band of we have these feelings but we're thinking about them and processing them and fine-tuning them before releasing them whereas right girl feels very diy on the nose happening right here right now yeah absolutely i think that's a great way to put it uh this song is really specifically about it's all kind of an idea of what of miss america um mm-hmm. and in calling out the hypocriticalness of miss america of um you know you're just supposed to stand up there and get you, the lyrics like teeth are capped and lipo sucked, hair is set, nose is contoured, mm-hmm. tummy's tucked, boobs are lifted, uncross your legs, your pantyhose shifted. Am I smiling too much? Am I smiling enough? Am I tucked in and buckled? Uh, you know, and it's just the lyric. I mean, the, the, the chorus is the title of the song, less, tit, less teeth and more tits. It's never enough. You'll never be good enough. Yeah. So it's really a commentary on the fact that you know, there's just no winning as a yeah. woman, especially as in this kind of music video era and the heroin chic era of the nineties and reality TV is really burgeoning into what we know it, what millennials know it as of this like early two thousands reality TV, just promoting a really aggressive and constant plastic surgery. Yes. And not necessarily for the person having it but for everyone else. else yeah exactly and it's a huge precursor to the early 2000s there's so much imagery of plastic surgeries especially with marilyn manson one of my favorites yeah. um and of gender fluidity coming out of that but like pink has a lot of that especially right. on her al- her 2005 album i'm not dead is very much about that for better and for worse some of it does not age well right. in my opinion but to have these other more mainstream artists deal with this later i think this totally paved the way right Absolutely. And it's, again, like in one way, you know, a commentary of just how messed up that is. And then also at the end, it's the plea within it of, you know, something different, something meaningful. These are lyrics, you know, that make our smiles not seem so evil. Um, you know, that they, I want to see something else. I, why won't you show me something else? I want to see something else. Right. I'm just there's so much out there in the world that we could be um, celebrating and showing and, and being prideful of. And then all we're doing is telling women like you're not good enough you need right. to look a certain way um, well and then when you do you need something else yeah, exactly it's never finished right yeah exactly you're never going to be good enough so tina Fey is a bit in her book bossy pants about that which i think came out in like 07 uh but she has a bit of you're expected to have kim kardashian's ass but kate moss's waist and Somehow you have to be everything and nothing. And yes. if you really had all of these disparate things that people deem attractive, you would look fucking insane. Yes. Because it's not sustainable or attainable yeah. to have all of these things that are deemed attractive. Like there's so many inconsistencies and conflicting ideas of what you should have. Right. That there's no winning. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You can't wipe out all our progress with your little cotton ball. Like some dice, your ass to perfection Slip up a word and
Not even a hard left turn. Just a more palatable <laughs> just turn. <laughs> This is Turn It Up by Save Ferris. Return customers on our pod. Yes. Uh, one of the few female-led 90s bands that actually played Warped. And they did not play this year, unfortunately. <laughs> but this album's dope and yeah. fit the time. So this is off their album Modified, <laughs> which came out in 1989. Um, it's just fun. I really like Safe Fairs. You turned me on to them more than anything else because I knew of them. And then you picked that track. Yeah. Which track did you pick? <sighs> Well, I know I mentioned Come On Eileen. Yeah, we've, we've talked about them before. Yeah, or their cover of Come On Eileen. Yeah, we've talked about them before. They're really fun. I just, I had to pick it. I flagged them a while ago because I knew they had this album in 99. And I was like, shit, we're not there yet. <laughs> so I was kind of saving it up. Uh, Turn It Up I picked specifically because I think it embodies a lot of that pop punk summer camp, bored in the suburbs, wanting something more, just craving that song that really like gets you going it's just very face value lyrics in a very complicated politically charged time it's yeah. nice to have this song that's just a nostalgic fun thing the song opens with radio static and closes with a record scratching um and the lyrics are literally about calling in to the radio station to ask them to play your song because you need to hear it and that's the only way you can hear right. it right <laughs> you know there's just something really charming about that because I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in very much the instant gratification culture. Like, by the time I was really paying attention to music, I had a Walkman, and then I had an iPod, and then I had YouTube, you know? So to have this kind of throwback to back in the day, you just think about it all day, the song that you love. Yeah. And it's the opposite of the oversaturation that I think we get now. Yeah. Um, and kind of waiting for it and having it be even more special, because when you do hear it, it's a really special occasion. And just enjoying it. Yeah. And I think it was just like, I wanted to close out that way because 99 was a really dark, rough time. Yeah. <laughs> Especially like, yeah. we opened with Adam's song. I was happy to close with something a little lighter. <laughs> and it's all relevant and it's all right. valid. But I, I really wanted to, sh to shine a light on the more politically charged stuff, the darker stuff, especially regarding suicide and gun violence because that was huge in general, but especially in 1999. But then we can also have stuff like this where you just, you know, can go and stop thinking about your problems and get lost in the music. And I love songs. I love songs about music just like I love movies about movies. It's just fun to kind of turn the lens on yourself and make something really cool about the medium you're using. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, what absolutely. do you think? I Yeah, I love her voice. This is just such a... I think we played a couple uh, episodes ago for the earlier 90s, uh, we played some of the female-led British bands, mm -hmm. and I feel like Say Ferris has that similar vibe as those bands did, with, with her voice especially. Like, it's light and easy. There's, there's not too much... Like nothing hard that you to listen to. It's just mm -hmm. it's easy to listen to. Easy it's very to palatable. Enjoy. It is palatable. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, but I, it's still I rock and roll, it. and you still want to yeah. pogo and jump around and. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, it's just a, just a lovely song. Like I could see in many a, a high school rom com. Yeah, ten things I hate about you, especially. Yeah, exactly. They had letters to Cleo, but you know, I also love letters to Cleo. Right, I can just see the like long floral skirts and chokers and oversized sweaters and spiky hair, needlessly yeah. spiky hair. Right, butterfly it's clips. Great. I I think it's a good sign of the times too of what would maybe come with female-led bands mm-hmm. into the 2000s where we would kind of honestly lose this feeling a little bit. I mean, we'd, we'd get it back with, I don't know why Echo Smith out of everything is coming to mind, <laughs> but like we'll get there again, but like we're going to go through Paramore especially and some of the other mm-hmm. like rock and roll bands that are going to have female leads. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just really liked it. I'm glad we got to finish with this. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it's just very fun. Um, I have a couple of honorable mentions. Hell yeah. Uh, I mentioned Sweetness by Jimmy Eat World. Uh, again, that was added back to the Clarity um, album in 2007. Also, Believe in What You Want off that same album. Really, it's a great album. I, like Again, I came to it late. Um, so if you have a chance, I would go listen to it. Uh, Hit or Miss by Newfound Glory off of Nothing Gold Can Stay. Uh, That's a big album. That this was the first year that Newfound Glory ever played World Tour. Yeah, and they will become like a staple. A huge staple. So definitely Newfound Glory. Hit or Miss is a great, just classic pop punk. Mm-hmm. Get you going. It's a great song. It was hard not to choose it for this. Yeah. Um, Karma by the Black Eyed Peas because yeah, the, Black the Black Eyed, Eyed Peas played yeah. like 1999 World Tour. The Black Eyed Peas played World Tour. I'm really bummed that you blew the load there because I was so going to talk about the history of it, but it is wild. Pre-Fergie, too. Yeah. Um, so hip-hop. Hip-hop yeah. was a very valuable marketplace. Yeah, and Karma has more of a, the Black Eyed Peas kind of reggae vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Um, Which goes really well with the constant ska lineups of yes, exactly. So it kind of fit. It, it makes total sense when you really think about it because it kind of yeah. married the ska and hip-hop. Yeah, markets that they were trying to hit if that worked. Black, yeah, exactly. If Black Eyed Peas had kind of stayed in that realm, I think they probably would have maybe been mainstays of Warped. Yeah. Um, that was off... Karma's off their album Behind the Front, which was one of their biggest, mm-hmm. earliest uh, releases again in 99. Um, Holly Hawk's Forget Me Not by Saves the Day, off their album Through Being Cool. God, I didn't realize Saves the Day went that far back. Yeah, me neither. I think it was like one of their first... Uh, releases or maybe their second I album. saw Saves the Day yeah Saves the Day so they're a long time warped I had they were going no idea they, were, they went that far back yeah that's blowing my mind I'm sure they would be young and then uh, Never Meant by American Football um, it's a it's a lesser known also, lesser known song lesser known band it's not one of my favorite songs I'm not wild in his voice but it's credited in multiple places is like again kind of in that jimmy world of like we're gonna start getting to the emo scene Mm -hmm. and this is one of the places we're gonna start Mm -hmm. um so those are my honorable mentions love it what are yours awesome um so i mentioned come on everybody by eminem i think it's a fun (laughs) song he literally says himself like this is my dance song yeah also it's c-u-m on everybody and i just think that's funny (laughs) which is very much him because like he basically, like, I feel like a lot of his music to sometimes is just, like, word masturbation. Yeah. And so it's, like, cool. Well, and I, the way that they integrate the female vocalist in the song is really fun and interesting to me. And I think it's kind of making fun of, I think it's definitely making fun of a lot of the late 90s, early 2000s hip-hop R&B featuring female vocalists. Yeah. Who basically only exist to moan. Yeah. Um, <laughs> God. You know, like, we'll eventually get to... 
forget when all these songs came out. But, you know, just that whole, like, yes, daddy, like, baby voice <laughs> R&B backup singers and right. what's your fantasy, you know, oh, like, yeah. that kind of shit. <laughs> yeah. I think Eminem's kind of making fun of it. Right. Uh, but also playing into it, which is always what he does, which is so interesting. Anyway, um, I also pulled two H2O songs that I really liked. Oh, nice. Old School Recess by H2O was actually featured on the Warped compilation that year. But I also really liked the song Liberate. Um, these are both off the album FTTW. And they're just like angry, make sense for the time, why everyone's mad kind of songs. And Old School Recess especially was like, we just want like Old School Recess. Like everything sucks and the world's fucking insane. And like we'd all be better off if we just like went out and like were free and like ran around. It's oh cute. Um, and then Disengage the Simulator by CKY. Nice. Okay. CKY was very new at this time. I'll talk about them in the history episode. They're riveting to me. Um but they were kind of new on the scene. Disengage the Simulator was a very, like, foreshadowing, yeah. you know, the emo yeah. scene of, like, hyper-verbal, poetic. <laughs> but they were weirdly metal at the same time. CKY is really interesting. Uh, but I picked that as well. And then Antimatter by the Aquabats is nice. really fun. Everything by the Aquabats is really fun. Um, they, I mean, their whole shtick is the fact that they have a shtick. And yeah. they wear costumes and their art is <laughs> hilarious and antimatter is really fun and I think it's very much a product of this TRL kind of reality TV very much even the slim shady music video of like TV is destroying all of us and yeah. don't trust the media and like you know and then finally ain't gonna take it by suicidal tendencies which is just like textbook classic warp tour punk mad yes. at everything but not really making a stance about anything in particular just kind of being mad <laughs> and demanding liberation but not explaining how to liberate right kind of thing and suicidal tendencies is just such a mainstay of punk and especially of this warped tour pop punk kind of canon yeah um yeah those are my picks that's awesome yeah come on everybody all right you guys those are our favorite, some of our favorite songs from 1989, some songs that really stood out from the lineup of Warped that year. Uh, tell us what, again, tell us what songs you love from 99. Of course, there was a lot going on in the other genres of music, uh, specifically Britney Spears uh, yeah. is happening in 99. So um, definitely what was your what was on your playlists? What's still? Yeah, pop punk or not, tell us what yeah. you were listening to in 99 or what you like that happens to be from 99. Yeah. Tell us what you think about Eminem. Yeah. Tell us what you think about these music videos. Tell us if we yes. forgot any really dope music videos. Absolutely. Yeah, hit us up. Let us know. And tell us what you what do you want to hear from us for 2000. We're busting into the new millennium. Ooh. It's going to be really yes. fun. It really flew by. It really did. Yeah. Thanks for listening to Work to Remember. Bye. You're an all-star, get your game on, go play Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid Do you know what is streaming on Spotify now, though? Hmm. Just seen the Pussycats. Finally! Yeah. I've been checking. Yeah. Yeah, it's on. I saved it. <laughs> Hell yeah. I have the CD in my car. That's all I really have to play it. I'm pretty sure if you loved Josie and the Pussycats as a kid, you're gay now. <laughs> Probably. <laughs>